been going through the holy history. The theme for this series is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. All of these events that took place with Israel in the Old Testament are not just history, they're his story. It's God's interaction and intervention in human history. God's plan to bring the whole earth to himself, to bring all the people of the earth to be a part of his kingdom. So today's message will have a series of questions. We're going through the holy history and we're trying to understand what that whole Old Testament is all about. It's not just a bunch of dry old stories that don't apply to us. Um, God has a plan and he has been implementing that plan from day one. And so we've looked at Abraham and we've looked at Jacob and we've looked at Joseph and we've looked at Moses and these were the key figures all through the story. And then this last week, uh, we looked at Samuel uh, as he was chosen and as he was raised up to be uh, God's man. And Samuel ended up concluding the time period uh, that we call the period of the judges. Now, uh, I indicated to you there's a couple of key verses in the book of Judges. And by the way, I would encourage you to read Judges. If, if you want to read some crazy stories, there's some crazy stories in Judges. And what you see is what people are like when they don't uh, acknowledge God as their king and they don't acknowledge any other sovereign either. Uh, it says it twice. The, the key verse here is, And every man did what was right in his own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. Well, see, the reality is all of us do have a king in our life. There's a sovereign in your life. And today's message is a question. Who is your king? Israel wouldn't acknowledge any king because they were supposed to have who as their king? God was supposed to be their king. They had the law that had been handed down from Moses and they knew how they were supposed to live. And they didn't need a king because they had elders, they had priests that would teach them the law, and they were supposed to behave. And unfortunately, that wasn't happening. So God periodically raised up these deliverers uh, that are they're called judges, but it's kind of a, a strange title because uh, that was very, very little a part of what they did. They did... Uh, uh, administrate certain things, and they arbitrated disputes among people, but they were primarily military leaders that delivered Israel when uh, the oppressors came in. Israel would throw off uh, the rules that God gave them and kind of do what they wanted to do, and so God would send a nation in or sometimes raise people up from within to discipline Israel. And, uh, you know, I will let you look at Judges. I'll let you listen to the previous messages that I preached about this. But this is a lesson for us. We leave things in our lives that we should get rid of, and we don't. And those things rise up later in life, and they attack us just like those nations do. And we cry out to God for deliverance, and God is good, and God loves us, and so he does uh, bring a deliverer. Well, Samuel uh, occupied really three major offices in Israel, and he was... Uh, he was the leader in Israel his entire life, but he was not the king because there was no king. But Samuel was a prophet. He heard from the Lord when he was probably five years old. And the first message that God delivered to him was not a comforting message. It was, 
You see Eli, the guy that's raised you, and you see his wicked sons that are abusing the temple and are taking from people and abusing the women in the temple. I'm going to get rid of them. And I'm going to raise up another house that is going to be faithful to me. So, you know, God doesn't need us. He wants us. And that's a significant distinction. And I want to be wanted, don't you? Right? I want God to want me. When, when I think of, you know, God disciplining me or, or redirecting me, I no longer get upset over that. I'm like, God, just thank you for paying attention to me. Because you could just leave me to my own devices and I'd be stumbling around like a blind man, not knowing what to do and where to go and not having any protection over me. No, I want, I want the Lord in my life. And even if I don't like the decisions that he made, that, you know, he's made about me, um, I'd rather have those decisions than my own because, uh, then I have to deal with the consequences of those decisions. So Samuel was a prophet. And then he was a priest. And as I indicated to you at the end of the message or near the end of the message last week, he wasn't even from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. But he got adopted essentially by um, the priest, Eli, who was from that tribe. And so uh, God put him in that role. And this just shows us God doesn't have to follow the, the protocols that, that we kind of assume that he must follow. If God wants to choose somebody and use somebody, he will. And as I've said many times, and this isn't my phrase, but it's worthy of remembering, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. All you need to determine is, is God calling you? And what is God calling you to do? And if it's not scary, if it's not beyond you, it's probably not God calling you to do it. When I was younger, I was, uh, you know, I didn't like to talk in front of people. Uh, it, was, it was a scary prospect. In fact, I can remember one time in high school, I got myself in a lot of trouble because I was supposed to go, it was my freshman year. I won't tell you the trouble I got into. I've told that story many times. It'll take me too long and I'll probably cry. No, I won't. Um, but I'm a freshman in high school. I wanted to start off on the right foot. And so they have all these clubs, right? And there was a, there was a club that was appealing to me and it was the, the key club. And I think this is like the, the junior version of Kiwanis or something like that. But, you know, I just, I read the description. I thought, well, that, you know, that sounds kind of cool. And I, I can still remember this. This is like an image in my mind. I'm walking down the hallway of my high school, which by the way, our hallways were outdoors. This wasn't an indoor high school. Everything was outdoors except for the classrooms. But I'm walking down the breezeway, I guess you would call it, and I'm going toward this door, but I was a little bit late. And you know what? I was afraid to walk in in front of everybody because I was afraid of what they would think of me. See, I was shy. Well, you know what? I ended up getting in a bunch of trouble because of that because I went across to a drugstore and was an idiot. Let's just put it that way. When I could have just walked in the door and sat down, and I would have been a part of this club, and, you know, probably would have kept myself out of trouble. But see, God took someone like me, who was very shy, and would not have imagined that I would be standing in front of groups of people and speaking, and, you know, he said, I didn't call you because you're qualified, right? I'm going to call you. Now, you do what I say, and I'll qualify you. I will equip you. I'll give you what you need. All you need to discover is what God has called you to do. So here's Samuel. He's a boy. His mother has dedicated him to the Lord. He's a prophet because God speaks to him and speaks through him. If God speaks to you, he's going to speak through you. You understand? 
He doesn't just speak secret messages to you so that you can go and hide and, and not say anything. If God is speaking to you, he's going to speak through you. So that's what Samuel did. Prophet, priest, and then he was a judge. He ended up judging Israel his entire life. Uh, he was a military leader to a degree, and uh, he did arbitrate disputes and so forth. Um, so uh, that's a very kind of a, an overview here, but we're going to see the transition between Samuel and the first king, Saul. We're going to talk about Saul next week, but today is about the transition from theocracy to monarchy. You see, that's the type of government that Israel had, a theocracy. That means that God is the king. God is in charge. He was the one that they, was, they were supposed to acknowledge, the theocracy, okay? But what we're going to find today is that they wanted to be like every other nation, and they wanted a monarchy. Now, there were causes for this, but they should have cried out to God for another judge. But nonetheless, so number one uh, among the, the outline that I have for you today is Yahweh was supposed to be Israel's sovereign, her king, and Samuel faithfully represented God among the people his entire life. This is from 1 Samuel 3, 19 through 21. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. That means he didn't fail. When he spoke, it was from the Lord. He let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, these were uh, cities. Dan was a tribe and a city, right? Beersheba was a city. Recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. This was the city that was kind of uh, the 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 uh, um, the head of Israel at that point in time. Be kind of like our Washington D.C., if you will, right? Um, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there He revealed Himself to Samuel through His Word, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. So Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. Number two, after years of leading the people of Israel as a prophet, priest, and judge, they finally turned away from idolatry. Now, this is great. So he didn't just rule over them. He was able to win them over. And he won them over because um, he was able to defeat their enemies from within, the Philistines, right? So after years of leading the people as a prophet, they finally turned away from idolatry to worship only Yahweh. They had not done this yet. And yet, under Samuel's leadership, they turned away from their idols. Friends, I pray for revival in our country. I pray for revival in this church. We need to turn away from our idols too. Amen? Here it is, 1 Samuel 7, 2 through 4. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord, turned back to Yahweh, so Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the ashtoreths. These were, uh, these were idols. Uh, it was a, a female, it was a goddess, but it was an idol shaped like a male member. Kind of disturbing, I understand, but that's the way it was. And commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the, out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales, that, that's the other, uh, the god, the consort of Ashtoreth, but it was also a word that meant Lord, and Ashtoreth and served the Lord only. So under Samuel, the Philistines were finally subdued and the people were finally worshiping only Yahweh. Here it is from 1 Samuel 7, 13. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Now the, Isra the, the Philistines were on the coast, 
right? The Mediterranean coast of what we today also know as Israel. And they lived in five cities on that coast. And there were five rulers among the Philistines. They're called the Lords of the Philistines, the five Lords of the Philistine. So kind of a little oligarchy there. Um, but Samuel was able to win the people's hearts over and he was able to drive this invading nation back. So Samuel appointed his sons to judge Israel. Now he got older and God uh, wasn't uh, pointing anybody else out, so he appointed his sons. But just like Eli's sons, if you remember last week, Eli's sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, were wicked. These guys were also unjust. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside to dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So they were mitigating these disputes, arbitrating these disputes, doing what a judge would do when there was no war, but they were taking bribes. Well, um, this is something I want you to see. Eli, as I indicated to you last week, didn't discipline his sons. And that's why they turned out the way they turned out. And God removed his whole family from leadership because he refused to discipline his kids, right? But here we have Samuel, and it doesn't say that he didn't discipline his sons, and they turn out bad anyway. Little application for you. You may raise up your children, and you should raise up your children in the training and teaching of the Lord. But that doesn't mean that they have to choose what you want them to choose, they're still going to make up their own minds. And that's a heartbreak for parents. But what I don't want you to do, if your kids don't turn out the way you want them to, is blame everything on yourself. You're like, I tried to do everything right. I brought them to church. I taught them. I, I don't know what happened. It's called free will. People make up their own minds. And it's rough on parents. I understand that. And you keep praying for them their whole lives and you keep loving them their whole lives, right? But in the end, they become adults and they make up their own minds, right? And that's exactly what happened with uh, Samuel's sons. Well, there was no other successor to judge Israel other than Samuel's sons, but a change definitely needed to happen. So the people of Israel approached Samuel and they wanted an earthly king so that they would be like other nations. That's what they said. Listen to what it says. Uh, this is uh, 1 Samuel 8, 4 and 5. So the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. Isn't that great? They came to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. See, they didn't, they didn't have a king, but they weren't acknowledging that Yahweh was their king. They were saying, okay, we'll worship Yahweh. That's kind of a religious thing, right? And we'll obey the rules, but we want an earthly king. We want a flesh and blood king that we can see right here in front of us. So Samuel didn't like this, but there wasn't another choice. And God had determined in his providence that he was going to allow kings to rule Israel because ultimately Israel would have one great king, and that was King who? David. So they're going to have Saul next, and after Saul was David, and David was their greatest king, and Jesus is called the son of who? So see, this kingly line was put in place providentially, even though God's perfect will would have been for them to acknowledge him as their only sovereign, God had a plan all along. Hey, application for you? Are you listening? You really can't mess up God's plan. You can't. You can't. You can mess up your life, 
You can turn away from God. But you know, I love this, and I just read this again uh, either yesterday or today in uh, 1 Timothy. It says, if we deny him, he will deny us. That means if you turn your back on him altogether, he's going to deny you. And that's a denial you don't want. But it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You see, if Christ is in you, there are times when you don't pay attention, aren't there? There are times when you stumble into foolishness, but God's not going to give up on you, and you can't mess up his plan. You really can't. That's very comforting. If you understand the sovereignty of God, you can mess up, but God knew you were going to mess up and planned around it anyway. You're like, well, man, I made the wrong choice. I shouldn't have made that choice, you know, those years ago. But see, you did make that choice. God knew you were going to make that choice, and he planned around that. So you may think, well, gosh, I think that was a mistake. But the reality is, if you're in that situation, and you made that choice, and you made that commitment, you maintain that commitment. Because God has already planned around it. Yeah, but what if I'd have done this, and what if I'd have... You can't go back in time, right? I know we've all seen a million of these movies where they go back in time, right? And it used to be all of the movies about going back in time were about going back and, oh, but what if I change something? It's going to mess everything up in the future. But now with the advent of Marvel and their time travel, it's like, no, it's just another spur off the timeline. We're in a multiverse. It's just, it's crazy. The reality is you can't go back in time. You think you made a mistake back there? Okay. Pray that God will help you make better choices today. Right? But walk the path. Focus on Jesus. Turn away from self. Turn away from the past and do what the Lord has commanded you to do. Do the will of God. Amen? That's what we need to do. All right? Um, yeah, it's very comforting. And that's why I love and I count on Romans 8 28. All right? God causes how many things? All things to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So you just need to know two things. Do you love God? Are you called according to his purpose? If you heard and heeded that, then you can't mess it up. I'm not saying you don't make mistakes, that you won't stumble, but though you fall, you will not do a face plant. It says be hurled headlong in the text, but I just think, you know, though you fall, you'll not do a face plant because it is the Lord that holds your hand. You, you ever, you know, some of you have, have little, fairly little people still, and... Uh, you ever been holding your kid's hand and they, they trip? Do you just let them fall on the ground and bust their faces? Wow, we've got some abusive parents. Whew. How are they going to learn? Just remember, you have to pay the medical bills. No, but I've seen, I've seen parents practically dragging their kids along. I'm sorry, when, you're, when your kid's legs are like about that short, walk slower. Well, I don't want to. i got to get where I'm going. Pick him up and carry him. But I watch people, and they're just practically dragging their kid, and their kid's like trying to keep up. You know, and the, the kid catches their foot on a rock or something, you know, and the parents are like, come on, you know. Well, God's not going to do that with you, but he is going to hold your hand. And if you fall, he's not going to let you do a face plant. He's going to pick you back up, right? 
Jesus is called the author and perfecter of our faith, right? He's the one that paces us. He's the one that runs ahead of us. Well, maybe it's even more accurate to say he runs beside us and he wants us to run along with him. He's the leader, right? But he's the one by his spirit that is called alongside. This is all good news in my opinion, right? Well, Samuel didn't like this idea, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. God says, nope, let them have the king and then inform them of what that's going to cost them. Because it did. It cost them a lot to have a king. So God gave them what they wanted and he warned them of the consequences. Uh, Here's 1 Samuel 8, 9. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what a king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And I'm not going to read all of that. It's rather lengthy, but if you'd like to read it, it's in 1 Samuel uh, 8 and uh, following after verse 9. Then 1 Samuel uh, 8 from 21 and 22. When Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. So Samuel still didn't like this, and he's confirming it with the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. In other words, sometimes God gives you what you want, even though it's not what he wants for you. And you say, oh, good. No, really not. Now, again, what I said is true. God will work his plan out in your life regardless. However, You don't want a yes from God when you pray. You don't want a no from God when you pray. You want God's will when you pray. When you pray and ask the Lord for something, a no is as good as a yes. You just want his will. Well, this message is not going to be very long, but hopefully you've paid attention. I have some application questions to ask you. Rather than just making application like I've done week after week, I want to ask these questions, and I want you to answer them in your own heart and mind. Who is your king? Who or what is actually leading your life? Who or what is actually in charge of your life? Now, we have leaders over us, some, sometimes temporary leaders, right? Sometimes, you know, it might be a boss, might be a teacher. We have these leaders over us. But a leader is not a sovereign, right? There really aren't any more sovereigns. Queen Elizabeth died, right? She's technically a sovereign, but she really doesn't run the country. That's not the way it works anymore. Um, The way their system of government works, she's technically the monarch, or was. Now it's King Charles III. Uh, Hopefully he doesn't have the same luck that King Charles I and II had. Yeah, that was a rough run of kings right there. I'll let you look that up in uh, English history, or British history. But nonetheless, she was the the sovereign. And uh, technically what that meant when monarchy actually meant something was what the king says goes. What the king says you do. You don't have really an appeal. It's the king's will. And the king owns the kingdom. All these lands that are public lands belong to the king. That happened in, uh, in uh, Egypt with Pharaoh. Pharaoh was, is, a, is a title, right? Is a, a sovereign, an absolute monarch. But... Under Joseph, Pharaoh ended up with everybody's land, not just the public lands. It all became his land because everybody was starving and because Joseph was wise enough to advise that they save grain during the time of, uh, of plenty, 
then he would sell that grain back to them during the seven years of famine. Well, the last thing these people had was their land, and they gave their land to Pharaoh, and he gave them grain. And then basically what he said is he said, you can farm your land, but you have to give me back 20%. So uh, that's what happened. But that's, that's what happens in a monarchy, right? So we have all these leaders over us. And I'm just going to make a, a quick application here. I've been watching this, uh, this YouTube channel called Audit the Audit. And what it does is it shows situations where people are pulled over by uh, police officers who are not necessarily professional, we will just say. And so this fellow that does the channel goes into all of the laws from that particular state and whether something was, you know, was broken or whether the, the person that was pulled over for whatever crime uh, or, you know, just for whatever reason broke any laws. And then he gives them a grade. Okay, so I'm watching some of these people, and I'm seeing myself in them. I'm just going to give you advice. Are you ready? This is not biblical advice, but it's good advice. When you are pulled over by the police, do not argue. It doesn't matter how wrong they are for pulling you over. If it's wrong, you take it to court later. Don't argue, don't get into a power play with a guy that may have an inferiority complex and a Glock 17 on his hip. This is unwise. Trust me on this. And I'm watching these people. And one of the last ones that I watched was a, it was a video where a guy was sitting in his truck in a rail yard. And this cop rolls up and he is belligerent to this fellow the whole time. He's just really, really rude and mean. And the guy, I mean, it's this cop's body cam. The guy's not really doing anything. At one point, the guy wants to get into the back of his truck to show him that he works at this rail yard and there are tools back there. And the cop just grabs him. And I mean, he wraps his arms around this guy's pecs and shoves him. And then he puts him in cuffs. And then he puts him in the back of the car. And he keeps talking and talking and talking. And finally, he lets him out, takes the cuffs off, doesn't even write him a ticket. So the guy wasn't terribly argumentative, but he wasn't terribly cooperative either. And this particular officer obviously shouldn't have been a police officer, okay? If you're in those situations, that was very obviously wrong. And the long story uh, shorter, he went to the police uh, headquarters and complained, that is the man who was pulled over or pulled out of his truck and thrown around by the police officer, went to the police headquarters to complain about this officer to the police chief. And guess what the police chief did? Covered his back and wrote this guy two tickets. Well, he said, from your story, this is what you've done wrong. You were interfering with government, blah, blah, blah. And you did, and they wrote him two tickets. So he took it to court. And he was acquitted. And he sued him and got $57,000. If there's wrong being done to you, wait. The cop is not the judge. He's your, he's your judge for that moment. And you're what you need to do is just cooperate. Say, yes, sir. Say, yes, ma'am. Don't even say it with a, a, an attitude in your voice, okay? Did you know you were doing this? I wasn't aware of that, sir, but I'm sure you're right. 
The last time I was pulled over by a police officer, this happened. This guy was, he was mad, and I didn't know why. And this was an older guy. And he was like sweating when he got to my window. And that's what he said, do you know what you did? And, da, 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 da. and I said, no, sir, but I'm sure you're right. You're right. They're always right, even if they're wrong. And then you can go back and take them to court later. I just helped you, all right? What I'm saying is that cop is not a sovereign, but he's the leader for the moment. Does that make sense? It, it may be the same thing with your boss. You're just sick and tired of this person doing and saying that to you. And so you pop off and then you get fired and then you're out of money. No, wait, just let them have their way until you work a way to find somewhere else to be employed and earn money. Does that make sense? Don't get in power plays with these people who have inferiority complexes and who have power over you, right? They're not your sovereign. And by the way, we live in a constitutional republic, not a monarchy. You do realize that, right? Your favorite president is not the king and was never the king, right? I heard uh, a, a commentator recently, that's, that's all they are in these news stations now. They don't report news anymore, they commentate and editorialize. This commentator said that um, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, in the wake of this horrible hurricane, was wanting to put his hand in Joe Biden's pocket and take money. I'm sorry, what? Joe Biden doesn't have enough money to help the people of Florida. He's the president. The federal government is supposed to come in and help in those disastrous situations. This reflects a terrible understanding. And again, I don't care who's president. My favorite president was Ronald Reagan. He's the only president I ever voted for that I could 100% support all the way. And he wasn't perfect. But I, I never thought of him as my sovereign, as my king. I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to do whatever he says or whatever he said, right? You and I have to have a sovereign in our lives over us who's got our best interest at heart. And there's only one sovereign like that. And he's also a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus. Amen? So... Some of us may be under someone's control. I said, who's king in your life? You may be under someone else's control other than God. Uh, this happens with relationships. This happens with careers. This happens when people are addicted to substances. That substance becomes your king. It drives your life. It could be alcohol. It could be an illegal drug. It could be a legal drug, Right? The person controlling your life might be a benign dictator, so to speak, right? But if anybody is in control of your life besides Almighty God, it is a mistake. Well, if we're honest, most of us govern our own lives. So we live in a type of personal government we could call an autocracy. Uh, an autocrat is a dictator, and a lot of us are the dictators of our own life. I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Right, And that's, I think that's exactly the way that I would be uh, if I didn't have Jesus in my life. See, we're all busy building our own little kingdoms. And, you know, we're, we're constructing those kingdoms and they're temporary. Jesus said, that's like building sandcastles. Listen to what Jesus said. 
at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Are you founded on the rock, or are you founded on the sand? Are you building your kingdom? Are you allowing God to put you in uh, practice and employment in building his kingdom? We need to come out from the world. We can't be just like other people. They wanted to be just like the other nations and have uh, a, an earthly sovereign over them. Um, here's my next question. I asked, who's your king? And here's my next big question. Do you want to be just like other people? Or do you want to be just like Jesus? Well, say, I want to be like myself. It's, it's never that simple. From the time we're teenagers, watch teenagers. Watch how they, they grow and develop. They're always identifying with someone, someone on TikTok, some celebrity, someone that's a couple years older than them. Or maybe they're identifying with someone healthy. But this is why they change clothing, clothing styles, Right? And, you know, all of us have been teenagers, so we look at them, we're like, yep, I remember being like that too. We're always seeking to identify with someone else, and we kind of put that together, and we build our personality on that basis. When you're younger, it's your parents or your, your prime caregivers. But as we get older, we start identifying outside the family, and we pull these building blocks in, but you're building something and you're building it on a foundation that is faulty or a foundation that is solid, right? What I would say is this, we are called to come out of the world, not be just like other people in the world. If you're identifying with someone who is not fully following Jesus, then it is a significant error. Listen to what it says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life is from the world and not from God. The person who follows the world falls into a trap. All of this comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Wow. And then the Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, 17 and 18. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So do you want to be like the world? Or do you want God's will for your life? Do you want to be just like other people? Or do you want to be like Jesus? Final question. Would you rather have your desires or God's will for your life? See, we chase our desires because we think that that's what we want. And then we get what we thought we wanted and we have buyer's remorse. We get what we thought we wanted and we realize 
That's not what we wanted or needed after all. Satan is really a good liar when it concerns this. So if you remember the children of Israel in the wilderness, they had a strong craving for meat. Remember that? They were being given manna. They had a strong craving for meat. So God gave them meat. In fact, he said, I'm going to give them so much meat it's going to be like it's coming out their nostrils. I laughed at that the first time I read that when I was a young believer. I was like, God actually said, I'm going to give you so much of what you think you want, it's going to come out of your nostrils. Um, great hyperbole there, imagining quail coming out of their nostrils. You know, I'd love to see an artist draw that. That would be kind of interesting. Um, but when God gave them this meat that they wanted, they were gluttonous, and it made God angry. And then they would soon be sick of what they crave. That's what the Lord said. Well, how does this apply? There are a couple of Proverbs that are appropriate here. Proverbs 14, 14 says, One with a wayward heart will have the fill of his own ways, but a good person will be satisfied with his. See, sometimes we get what we want, and it makes us sick, right? Proverbs 131, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. In behavioral psychology, there is a, um, a practice known as flooding. So when someone is involved in um, some sort of an activity and, and they want to quit that particular activity, smoking is an example of this, all right? This is, this is the, the old example uh, of parents back in the day. They catch their kids smoking. What do they do? You put them in the bathroom, turn on the ceiling fan, and say, smoke the whole pack. Don't come out of the bathroom until you've smoked every cigarette in that pack. That child will be green by the time they come out of there. And the next time they even look at a cigarette, it'll make them want to throw up. When I was younger, uh, I used to go to Jack in the Box a good bit, primarily because we had open campus when I was in high school, uh, and I didn't want to eat the food in the cafeteria. And so you could walk across the street, and there was a Jack in the Box over there, and so I used to eat a Jack in the Box all the time. For a while, Jack in the Box had this item on their menu called Frings. It was French fries and onion rings mixed together. Man, I got down on some frings. And I remember bringing those frings home, right? And had my Jack in the Box hamburger and had my, my big old bag of frings. And then I got the flu. And I threw up and it tasted like onion rings for every time I threw up. For the longest time, I could not even smell an onion ring without it making me sick. You see, sometimes God will get, give you what you want as a discipline. He'll give you what you want, and you get sick of it. And the idea is, well, you'll learn from this process. Well, some people learn, and some people don't learn. Um, a good example is alcoholics. I mean, get fallen down drunk, throw up all over yourself and all over everybody else, and it's horrible. I'm never going to do that again until next weekend. Sometimes things get a hold of you, don't they? 
So God can offer this as a possibility and a process to reshape you, but you still have to make up your own mind. You still have to turn away from your will and turn toward his will, because in the end, that's what this message has been about. Who is your king? Israel ended up getting a king like they wanted. But the Lord willing, next week, when we talk about Saul, you're going to see that that's really not what they needed. Okay? So... I invite you today to answer that question honestly and to open your heart and allow Jesus to sit on the throne of your life. Amen? Let Jesus be the king. Tell him, you're the sovereign in my life. I commit myself to you. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Amen? So we're going to close with a word of prayer. I haven't prayed a sinner's prayer up here in a while, but there's a lot of us here today. And it might be good for you to hear the words of this prayer and pray them out loud. This is a a prayer of invitation. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on the name of Jesus and you mean it, you put your faith behind it, then he will step out of heaven and step into your heart and he will sit on the throne in your life and you'll never be the same. So just bow your head and close your eyes and Pray this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I know it, and I'm sorry. I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore, and I don't want anybody else to be in charge of my life either. I invite you to come inside. Sit on the throne of my life. You are the king. Be my king from this day forward. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I would love to know that you prayed that prayer. Uh, You can give us feedback by going online to lifefulchurch.com, and there's a feedback tab there. You click it, and you can fill out a virtual little uh, card there and tell me that you prayed that prayer. Uh, There are a few bulletins still left in the room, and you can fill out a paper bulletin, or you can just come up and tell me. Uh, that you prayed that prayer. And we would love to talk to you or pray with you about anything that you'd like, particularly if you want to get your life straightened out with the Lord.